Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hi y'all, welcome back to Good More To Read. I am Haley, and I'm so excited to have you here today. If you are listening to this on the day that it comes out, I hope you're having a really happy Thanksgiving. And if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you're having a really wonderful Thursday. And if you're not listening to this on the day that it came out, I just hope you're having a really great day because I had a wonderful day the day that I recorded this episode with Adrian Young. But before we get into my conversation with Adrian, we have a lot coming up for Gilmore to Read. The Reading a Sexy Book Club is in the process of wrapping up their November pick, which of course was Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross, which is a book that I just absolutely adore. And I'm so excited to talk to her. I'll be talking to her the first week of December. So if you have any questions that you want to ask her about the book, about her writing process, or of course about Gilmore Girls, head over to the Gilmore to Read Instagram, or you can submit them in the club lobby on our book club on Fable. Again, I'll be talking to her the first week of December, and the episode will be coming out on December 6th. As for the December book club, I'm very excited about this one because Reading is Sexy is reading Love Light Farms by BK Borison. I'm in the middle of it right now to get a little bit ahead of the club, but I am so excited for you guys to read this one. Like the vibe of this book is, of course, small town, friends to lovers. I'm absolutely in love with this book. And I will say every time I explain the plot of this book to someone, they're like, so it's a Hallmark movie. And it kind of feels that way because Stella Bloom owns a Christmas tree farm and it's not doing so well. So she decides to apply for this contest. And in her application, she lies and says she owns the Christmas tree farm with her boyfriend. Only she doesn't have a boyfriend. But her best friend Luca steps up and pretends to be her boyfriend for her. The hallmarks of a Hallmark movie, if you will. But the thing that sets it apart from that that makes me love it so much is B.K. Borson's writing. It's equal parts hilarious and sarcastic as it is heartfelt and earnest. So I feel like it's going to hit so well for Gilmore Girls fans because the humor is really there, but the heart is absolutely there. And I find myself just absolutely like feet kicking, giggling, while at the same time, some of the details will come in and just absolutely stab me in the heart, which is exactly what I like to get from my romance romance novels. So if that sounds interesting, pick that up and read it with us this December. And the episode with BK Borison is going to be a little bit sooner than normal. It's going to be on Thursday, December 21st, so that we can get it ahead of Christmas so that you can be in the full Christmas spirit. Um, that's what I'm hoping that episode will be. I also hear that BK Borison is a really big Team Jess fan. So I'll just leave that there and we'll wait and see what happens when I talk to her. And I think that Where You Read I Will Follow for the month of December will be really fun because we are going to be reading Talking As Fast As I Can by Lauren Graham. I know a lot of you have probably read that. I have. 
but I think it'll be really fun to reread this together as a club. But if you haven't read it, I think it'll also be really fun to read it with some Gilmore Girls fans because this is a book of essays that Lauren Graham wrote about her time on Gilmore Girls. She did a rewatch of all seven seasons and gave her thoughts and memories of her time when she was playing Lorelai and then what it was like to go back to the revival and play Lorelai a second time. And what's exciting is Tara will be joining us this month to read this with us. And I know that she's already read it as well, but we're going to reread it with all of you. And then we're going to have a Gilmore to Say episode where we break down the book together, talk about our favorite things, thoughts, opinions, questions we have, the usual. And of course, we want to hear from y'all, your thoughts, opinions, questions, etc. And I'm really looking forward to recording that and that one won't be until the beginning of January. But all of that aside, because today I have, I think, my favorite episode of Gilmore to Read thus far. The first reason being very selfishly, because I think I've mentioned before that I'm in the process of writing my first book. So having so many authors to talk to and hear about their writing process and how they tell their stories has been so helpful as I go about my own writing process, but none more so than Adrienne Young, because I think that her creative process is so deeply emotional and it's the most similar to how I find my own writing process and just hearing about how she crafts her stories and the intention and the purpose that goes into everything that she writes and how she writes is just so interesting. And if you have any interest in writing, I think you'll really love listening to her. But my absolute favorite part about this interview is the plot twist in the middle of this, that she is a massive Gilmore Girls fan. I will leave it at that because I was stunned. I'm not gonna lie, when she brought it up, it really felt like the woman was too stunned to speak because I had prepared very differently. I did not, I heard that she was a fan of the show and I was like, oh, she must have liked it. She's probably seen it once or twice before. Um, I was completely wrong and I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say. And as we get towards the end, we'll of course talk about the book club pick, Spells for Forgetting. And so if you don't want to be spoiled for anything because you've not yet read it and you would like to, I'll mention it before we get to it, but I'll also put the timestamp in the show notes for you. A little bit about Adrienne Young. Adrienne Young is the New York Times and internationally best-selling author of the Sky and the Sea duology, the Fable series, Spells for Forgetting, and her book that came out just last month, The Unmaking of June Pharaoh. When she's not writing, you can find Adrienne on her yoga mat, on a walk in the woods, or planning her next travel adventure. She lives and writes in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I feel like Taylor Dosey whenever I end this intro and like I should have a gavel to bang, but alas, I do not. But I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Adrian Young. Hi, Adrian. Welcome to Gilmore to Read. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you, especially I feel like I need to say congratulations because your newest book, The Unmaking of June Farrow, is both on the New York Times bestseller list and the USA Today bestseller list. Yes. Which is incredible. Very, very <laughs> exciting. No, no author is going to complain about getting that news. <laughs> yeah. And so I know we're here to talk about spells, mm -hmm. um, spells for forgetting that is. Um, but I do want to start by talking about this book because it just came out just a couple of weeks ago. I literally have it here. I was reading it before we got on and I was like kind of sad to like stop reading it. But I was like, if there's <laughs> anyone in the world who like I would stop reading this book for it's because I get to talk to you, which was really exciting. Um, but I do want people to hear a little bit about what that book is about before we actually get into Spells for Forgetting. Yeah, and it's totally appropriate to talk about it too, because people who like Spells for Forgetting will probably definitely, yes, I think, like definitely. this book. It's got a lot of the same hallmarks. It's like a small town mystery, but it's very romantic. It's got this like magical realism twist to the story. Um, but the unmaking of June Pharaoh is about a woman who 
has recently lost her grandmother and all of the women in her family to go mad at some point in their life. And they eventually lose their life to this kind of mysterious illness. And it's how she lost her mother. Um, her mother disappeared when she was little and it's how she lost her grandmother and how her grandmother lost her mother. So there has kind of been this quote unquote curse on the family for as long as anyone knows in this little town in Western North Carolina. And after her grandmother's death, she kind of starts following these breadcrumbs to learn more about the women in her family and their secrets and this curse that has plagued them. And it leads her to a magical red door that will take her to, I never know if this is a spoiler because I feel like everybody knows that the, there's time that the book plays with time, but it takes yeah. to another time. Um, and she will, you know, discover like all the answers to her questions. So, um, again, very, a lot of the same hallmarks as spells, but a totally different story, totally different characters and a separate standalone. Yeah. And no, I'm, I'm like in the middle of it and I'm loving it so much. And I feel like anyone who loved spells for forgetting will love this because it's still like, it's a completely different story, but it has like the hallmarks, like you said, of your mm -hmm. writing of like a deeply atmospheric place. It's like completely different than the Island, but it's still like this small town that like, you feel like you're lingering in where it's like equal parts of like, I feel like I'm there. I want to go there and I kind of want to leave too. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, exactly. um, but it, it's so good. And I just like these deeply emotional characters, which I love so much because I feel like your writing is just like so addictive because when I got this um, Spells for Forgetting back in like 2022, it was one of those things I ordered it because I had heard a lot of good things about it and it came in and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll read this at some point soon. But I opened it and I like finished it that night mm -hmm. because it was just like this story that like you can't let go of. And that's how I feel about this is like I had to put it down. <laughs> to talk to you now about it, which is, which was exciting. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm with June right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and like the other part of my brain. Because linger. I definitely have books like that too, that I read. And I feel like that about. Yeah. And I, I felt that way about Spells for Forgetting because I, um, was reading the audiobook but when I reread it this time I listened to it on audio and it just like having like the characters talk to you and like leaving the audiobook it kind of like you just want them to continue talking to you yeah like you just want them to keep telling you their, their story because yeah. it's just it's so good and that's what I love so much about your writing um but someone asked about your writing process and I feel like bringing this up is like putting you on blast but I don't think it is is because recently you were talking about on Instagram on your Instagram stories about your writing process and I think this was like last week and I watched it all the way through because I was like oh my gosh this is so perfect this is exactly what I needed to hear before I talked to you because you were talking about your writing process and like I feel like that's a question that you get all the time yeah. and people want you to distill it pretty quickly which if you read your books I feel like it's very indicative that it would not just be a short answer because mm -hmm. like they're so like deeply emotional and atmospheric and they travel through time that like for you to be like oh I sit down I get it out before five and it's all done feels like insane that anyone would expect that from you but you were talking about how it's like um this like deep connection that you have to your story and just like a deep feeling process I think was the term that you used that I loved so much and you were talking about how you want to talk about that sort of process mm -hmm. and I was like well I'm gonna make her talk about it today because like I loved listening through that story because I think it was after an unmaking of June event 
that you mm-hmm. were going through this. I think you had just cried was yeah. <laughs> what you were talking about. I know about. exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah. It was like yeah. the night after the morning after the launch of that book. Yeah. I woke up with like a big realization about my next book and had myself a good cry and yeah. was reflecting. And I didn't know what I didn't know whether I should bring it up because I was like, is this putting her on blast? I was no. like, no, no, no. She seemed like she wanted to talk about it. Oh yeah. I mean, I I talked about it you know, on my account with 50,000 followers. So yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, you know, I think that process is so interesting. It's very different for everybody. You know, if you ask one writer to another, they're going to have different answers. And there are a lot of writers out there who have these very straightforward processes that you um, mentioned before, where it's like, oh, well, I, first I have the idea then I brainstorm, then I outline, then I start writing and I write this many words a day until the book is done. And then here's how I revise. I am not like that at all. At there are times when I feel as if I wish I were like that, you know, like I was that simple, but I am very much at the mercy of my own kind of like psyche and like process, like emotional process. And a lot of times I am most uh, not most often, I am always writing about my own pain, my greatest fears. And, um, you know, even though I'm not writing these characters as if they were myself or writing my own story, I feel like I'm exploring a lot of these things that are very deeply rooted inside of me. So writing storytelling is very personal and it gets really deep into a lot of the things that I'm thinking and feeling at that time of my life. And whenever I go back and look at like an older work of mine, like my first book, my second book, my third book, they almost feel like little mini time capsules of like that time in my life and who I was at that time, because I get so like immersed into the stories. But yes, I I feel like my process it changes with every book. It's kind of unique to each project, but then also so much of it is me kind of working through some mental and emotional like tangled knots that um, are like processing aspects of something that, um, you know, then kind of unfurl in the story in unexpected ways. And that day in particular, the book I'm working on right now is my adult novel, my third adult fiction novel that comes out next fall. And I had woken up from kind of from this like dream. I was like between dreaming and waking and was thinking about something, um, that like a, like a wound that I have involved experience when I was younger and realizing that so much of what I had been kind of constructing in the story I'm working on is really related to that. Like I didn't really see it before, but it kind of was coming from there. And so yeah. I was like having this like big meltdown, <laughs> not like a meltdown, but I was like, no, this moment. Yeah. Like, like an emotional breakthrough, which sometimes feels like a meltdown. Totally. That kind of changed my whole perspective on the story. And I was like, I needed to have this like breakthrough moment, but it also was like a cringing moment of just like, oh my God, I'm going to have to go there and it's going to hurt yeah. and it's going to be hard. Um, but it's also exciting, you know? So no, I feel yeah, like it can be unexpected for sure. It feels like a little bit like a, like a therapy because like you, do you ever, do you ever find yourself like when you're journaling to like, you're writing about like your own pain that like at any point, like it shifts, like, and now you're writing it through the lens of a story, like at all that, or does it stay with you? That has, I mean, that has happened to me in the past. I feel like usually it does kind of stay with me. I feel like writing 
you know, people used to say writing is therapy. Then authors kind of got in this habit of being like, writing is not therapy. Therapy is therapy. You need to go to therapy or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) I, I firmly believe that both are true. You know, like I think that writing is there. Yes, we need therapy, but also writing is therapy for me. It's a way for me to like process externally. That's like safe and removed, but also very close. Um, And so I, I do feel like a little conflicted about that, but yeah. I yeah, so I mean it means though that my process can be very messy. It can be unexpected. It can take very different turns than what I think is going to happen. Um but luckily I have I was just thinking about this this morning that I have t- both of my editors are actually very supportive of my process and really yeah, and they really trust me. So like when things are like not coming together or not on a timeline that they were supposed to or whatever. And I, and I have to kind of like let things take its course. I feel like I actually have teams that are very supportive of that, which a lot of authors do not have that. So I feel lucky. Yeah. I was about to say, I feel like that's rare because one of the questions I had for you, like in regards to this, because like when I was watching you talk about like the way that you like I guess your process or the way that you want to talk about your process. Mm -hmm. My first thought was I was like, word counts and deadlines is like, how do you reconcile this feeling of like um, deep feelings and like the way that you want to go through your process with the way that like you have to through the publishing industry of like, you have to have deadlines, fortunately (laughs) and unfortunately, because like we want to read your books. You can't just like write until, you know, until you feel like you're done. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely friction there, right? Like it just, Sometimes the story does not take shape on the timetable that is in my contract. And so yeah. when you're selling, I when you're selling books on pitch is what we call it. Um, you're just selling an idea and they they pay you some money and then they're like, okay, go. Um, you've already received some money for it. You've agreed to a timeline, all of that stuff, but not all creatives can work that way. And Granted, the farther you get in and the more kind of weight you carry and more established you are, I do find that you do get a little bit more leeway and a little, yeah, more, a little more grace. Power yeah. balance. Yeah. But um, when you're first starting out, like that's certainly not true. And again, it depends on the editor. It depends on the team, um, the whole publisher at large, your agent, like what that dynamic is like. But again, I do feel like my, like when I, when I have to, you know, write the email or make the phone call, that's just like, Hey, I need more time to do this right. And it's coming in drips. It's not coming in a flood, like whatever. I feel like I've always been met with understanding and people who really want the book to be what it, what it can be. And so I feel very, very fortunate in that way. When you were, I guess when you were first starting out, was there any point when you were like, um, I guess like not delivering the book as you wanted it to be because of that deadline that you were put under? Um, probably. Yeah, probably. But then also I, I was different at that time in that I would kill myself to hit a deadline. I would move heaven and earth. I would turn my life upside down before I would miss a deadline. So (laughs) I locked myself in my office for like the last three weeks of my deadline and barely ate and didn't sleep and whatever, like that I would do it because I would not miss a deadline. I am not that way anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Look. I can kill myself and get this done and not be a hundred percent sure. 
about it, or I can just accept that this time is it's going differently than I thought and trust the process and, you know, and also like not stress myself out so much that, you know, my life is suffering for the work. And so I feel like I've created more balance in my life in that way now. Which I love because I feel like sometimes like when it comes to like the, um, like the rush of, uh, oh, what is the word that I'm looking for? Adrenaline. Yeah, like the adrenaline that comes with the writing process Mm -hmm. that like comes with like the emotional process of like getting it out. You can't like put that on a timetable. And so like to be able to find the balance of the deadline versus like the like sit down and I'm going to like feel my way through this, I feel like is such like a huge feat. It's very healthy. (laughs) It's been been an evolution for sure. It has not always been that way. (laughs) No, but I love that so much. Um, Especially because like I feel like when you were talking about therapy is like something I was talking about with my therapist is like where I end up a lot of the time is like I'll have an idea for something that I'm writing Mm -hmm. and I'll realize like kind of like you did where it's like, oh, I'm going to have to heal my way into writing this. Yes. And there's things that you can't touch. There's also there's idea story ideas I have or like different things that are like back on the back burner of my brain that I know I'm not ready to touch them. Like I am, I'm not in a place where I could write that story right now, maybe in five years, maybe in 10 years, you know, but there's also sometimes like things that come up like that, or maybe never, maybe I'll never write that story. Um, but I find all of that super interesting. Yeah, me too. Like, cause I just think that there's something so interesting about people who, I guess, who aren't writers, who you could see that you might be projecting into the story. Like you read a story and maybe you're like, Adrian is Emery. Adrian is anyone but Leota. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And you get kind of this like feeling of like, you think that you might know more of their emotional journey, but it's almost like it's like you're every single person yeah. because like you are almost like walking this fine line of your own emotions with these characters, almost like self-inserting everywhere because like how do you come up with these emotions that you haven't felt before totally yeah that's so true which is amazing because I feel like that's so it's just so obvious in your books that like you are a deep feeling person um because <laughs> I oh, feel like, so deeply when I read them <laughs> it's, there's a quote what is the quote it's something like it is both a blessing and a curse to feel so deeply like it, it's like my superpower and it's also my Achilles heel like 100 percent yeah yeah do you ever sit down and you're like start writing and you're just like I can't do this but I know that I need to because it's like a hard emotion or it's a hard day for the character or anything like that sometimes more often than not I am I struggle because I because the writing the way I write my style is emotional if I'm not feeling emotional like when I'm writing, that's hard. Like if I can't tap in, like if I'm really distracted or there's like a lot going on, or I'm thinking about like a bunch of stuff with my kids later in the day or, you know, whatever, if I'm overwhelmed by that stuff, sometimes it's very hard for me to connect with the emotion. And then I can't write it. Like I can't write it well. And I wind up having to rewrite a scene or something because I wasn't plugged in and and I can't always force myself to plug into that. And so that I feel like sometimes that is the real struggle for me. Is there a way that you do find that you can tap into the emotion that like you kind of like have like a ritual or something? Mm, Music. Oh, really? Yes. I have a playlist for every book 
And oh, I it, love. a lot of it is just really emo music. And so I, <laughs> of when course, I'm, when I'm like brainstorming the book, when I'm doing all the story development before I actually start writing, like actually drafting the words, um, I listen to that playlist over and over and over. And it almost creates like a Pavlov's dog, like kind of reaction and yeah. where then I, when I hear those songs, immediately the images of the book and the setting and the characters and bits of dialogue and like the emotions of the book all kind of snap into my head. And so like, sometimes I have to focus harder than others, but I feel like that's the trick I use all the time. Like I'll put my AirPods in and I'll turn music up really loud and like silence, you know, put it on like silent mode so that like really sink deep down into the feelings and that usually works. Um, and is it, it songs with lyrics? Yeah. So, well, both. there's both. Um, but I feel like there's more songs with lyrics than not on my playlist. And do you write while listening to the lyrics or do you, is it more of like, it's almost like a commute into your writing mm-hmm. is like the, the songs and then do you write in silence or? Well, usually I do write while listening to music, but with the unmaking of June Farrow, I didn't, I really couldn't listen. Like, and I think it's because that book was very, if people read it, they'll understand when I say it's very complicated. Like the storyline yeah. is very complicated. There's multiple timelines. There's multiple, like, there's just all this stuff going on. And I think that the reason possibly that I wasn't able to listen to music was because I had to focus so hard to actually get that story in a linear way that the reader can understand what's happening. And there's like multiple generations of people and like all this stuff. It's kind of mathematical in a little way. It is. And so like I needed it to be silent when I was writing that book, but all of my other books I have always written while listening to music. And I kind of, because I've heard the songs so many times because they're on the same playlist, I Kind of, they do just kind of drown out in the background. And they just become kind of like a part of the story just as you listen to it. Yeah. Do you ever like hit like repeat or like go back when you oh, yeah. like get stuck in a feeling? Yes. Like if there's something, like if there's a song that I feel like really connects to a scene on a very deep level, I'll some for sometimes for hours, I'll listen to the same song over and over and over. And it's almost like, and it's like a visualization technique for me as well. Like I'll be able to see a scene playing out kind of in my mind. And when, if I hit that kind of rhythm in the writing process, I, I will try to, you know, like I will put it on repeat so that I can continue it for as long as possible. And you can stay there in that space. Yeah. Do you ever hear these songs? Like when you're out in public, like at the grocery store or something and you're like, Oh, yeah, I'm suddenly, I'm suddenly on the island. <laughs> a lot of them, a lot of the songs aren't really like radio songs, but yeah. they, if I hear something like in a movie or something like that, that I'm like, oh my God, that's, it feels like. Yeah, like, that's my that song. Doesn't go, that doesn't go with this, you know? Yeah, like, yeah that's Emery's song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Haley, I feel like most of our followers already know that we don't really drink alcohol, but we do love 
a fun beverage. Oh, we do. Both of us think a fun beverage and a chill night is the epitome of a good time, especially when that drink is a recess mood, which is a delicious sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like mood lifting magnesium and stress balancing adaptogens. So you can relax without the alcohol. I drink mine every night while reading, of course. Tara, tell everyone how you enjoy yours. Honestly, I usually drink mine while we're recording the podcast. It's my favorite way to enjoy a recess. And all of our besties can get 15% off the Recess Mood Sampler Pack at takearecess.com slash GTS. Recess Mood is made with real fruit and comes in four delicious flavors like strawberry rose and raspberry lemon. But my personal favorite is the grapefruit tangerine. And with only 20 calories and no added sugar, it's the perfect way to chill. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash GTS and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. I don't know what it is, but cowboy boots are magic. Since they've arrived, I've worn my Tecovis boots almost every day. I have the Annie in Midnight. I know you have the Annie in Bone. I do. But they make me feel so powerful because, of course, it is my dream to be a cowgirl. Yes, I know this about you. But I also know (laughs) you've told me that you wear them while you write your book. I do. I wear them all the time because I also wear them when I get dressed up or when I'm sitting at my desk recording the podcast because they make me feel so bold and brave and like I can do anything no matter how I style them. Tecovis has carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality that you find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they've innovated on comfort, style, and service with boots for men and women handmade from the most premium leathers. And if you dream of being cowgirls like us or you're already Western to your core, Tecovis is the perfect brand to start with because they believe in Western for all. They don't only offer their handmade boots, but all sorts of head-to-toe Western staples. Perfect jeans to go with your boots, pearl snaps, bandanas, and cowboy hats. You name it and they'll get you outfitted. And if you can't make it into a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. So visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And as a special opportunity for our listeners, Tecovis has said that they will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps for free into any minimum purchase of $100 on tecovis.com. Just use the code Gilmore at checkout. That's G-I-L-M-O-R-E. It's about a $30 value and they sell fast, so they're always new styles and looks. Again, for a limited time, just enter code Gilmore at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tecovis. Only at tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and point your toes west. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So in terms of, I guess, like an an extension of music is something we mentioned before is that like your writing is just like every every sense that you have. It's all five senses, Um, which I feel like is such like a like so generous to the reader because I feel like I'm just I can I know exactly what the island smells like. I know what everything tastes like. I know what they're feeling. I know what the weather is. And how do you get to that place? Like, what is your writing setup right now? Because I see like the wall behind you is like, it's not like the island at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. And well, and this is, I'm not in my office right now. Like, 
I'm in like a conference room, like down the hall from my office. Yeah. It's not <laughs> this like is not a very inspiring space, but um I feel like the I draw on personal experience so much when I'm describing. So like when it is very, very hard for me to describe settings that I feel like I have no memories in. So okay. like well, to that level, it's hard for me yeah. to describe them to that level. So I can imagine any kind of setting that I've seen in a picture or a movie or whatever, but I'm not going to be able to portray the same kinds of like micro details that really help a reader fill out a scene and feel like they're immersed in the setting. Yeah. Like one in particular is when um, Emery's at Nixie's house and she opens the ice box and on the wall is like the, um, the like the bottle opener and there's like yeah. something on the wall next to it. And it's like so specific that I'm like, I know where I'm at and I yeah. know exactly what this is and I've experienced this before. Yeah. And I was like, that's just like the level of detail that you go into to create someone's home. Right. And so that that was so fascinating to me. Yeah, well, and it's it's really fascinating also because it's it's a certain recipe. So like if you do too many details, the reader gets overwhelmed with all the details that they're trying to imagine and they just start skimming the descriptions. Yeah. If you give just the right amount, it's like almost like I am I think of it as kind of like putting little like stars in the sky so they can draw the dots on the constellation. Like they fill Oh the yeah. Rest, you know, like you give them like these these little anchor points of the room around them and then they fill in the rest, which is really interesting because they're filling it with their own kind of like life experience and memories and maybe similar environments they've been in. So like really a reader is imagining an environment. Yeah. Every reader is going to imagine it a little bit differently, but if you have these little anchor points, it's, that's what helps them like create the scene because not, not everyone can imagine like yeah, a lot of people don't have the same, like when one person you can say, imagine an apple you know? Oh yeah. And that's one thing. And another person, it looks so different in your yeah, mind it looks yeah. different to them. Or like, maybe they don't even think they don't see an apple. They just see the word apple, you know, it's just the way our internal landscape works is so different, but um, yeah. I rely very heavily on personal experience. So like I had to go to the San Juan islands and I had to walk the beaches. I had to walk the forests. I had to like be there to feel like I could really describe that place. Um, right. and like with the unmaking of June Pharaoh, it takes place kind of in a setting that I'm in here. And so, um, or where I live around me. And so like, I have so much to draw on. And even if there are little details that aren't familiar to the reader, they somehow kind of like have a reference point, if that makes sense. That's so cool. It almost feels like you're like making like coloring book for people yes. to fill in with their own. That's a great way to say it. I'm totally going to steal that because yeah, I feel like when I'm, take trying, it. <laughs> I'm trying to explain this to people, it's, I think not everybody understands what I'm trying to say because I get the feedback constantly. And if you read reviews for my books or anything, people are always talking about my descriptions or it's so immersive or it's cinematic. I felt like I was there. And that's very intentional on my part. Right? Yeah. And so it's, it really, it's going to be different from reader to reader, but there is kind of this science to it as well. Yeah. No, that's so fascinating as it relates to your writing process being so deeply emotional mm -hmm. because I feel like it just like furthers 
how much like I love that about you and your writing because you're creating space for the writer's emotion too mm-hmm. and for their feeling and for their past to fit in right alongside mm-hmm your past and the character's past. That is so cool. I love that. I've never heard anyone describe that like that. And just furthers why I love your book so much because it just is so thoughtful. Like, I feel like that's really the best way I can describe so much of what you've said here and like so much of what I read in your book is just like, it's so thoughtful to the experience of both ends. Yeah. I mean, well, and I feel like, I feel like talking about process, like I could seriously, like, we could fill up multiple seasons of your podcast talking about it. It really <laughs> yeah. just is so complex. And yeah. like the landscape of it is so vast that I feel like y- if you really start digging into it, it's just like endless. Oh my gosh. No, I, I could, we could go on this forever, but we do need to move on because I have so many questions from our book club as we get into spells. We haven't even started talking about spells for forgetting. But before we get into that, I do want to talk a little bit about Gilmore Girls, but I will say um, someone in our book club said that your book, Spells for Forgetting, felt like Veronica Mars meets Practical Magic. Ah, and I was like, I love that description for that because it like is just like this like town mystery with like the real magical element of it. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I want to throw a little bit of Gilmore Girls in there because it's like the small town. Mm-hmm. And as I've been watching it, as I've been rereading Spells for Forgetting this month, I like now whenever I see the people in Stars Hollow, I'm like, I bet there's one night that you all have a secret about mm-hmm. and you haven't, you're like not all talking. Cause like, you know, I'm projecting like the idea yeah. of like, the fire from your book onto all of these people, which like nothing that serious ever happens in stars hollow. <laughs> yeah. But I do, I mean like, okay. So do you know about me and Gilmore girls? No, I just, okay. I, we asked your publicist if you were interested because like it's no requirement for the book club. But when I did find out that you were a fan, I was like, Yes. Okay. Yes. I am like on a podcast blackout where I'm not doing any podcasts really because other than just like a couple that I needed to do because I've just been like, so I've done so many now that I'm just like, I'm tired of saying the same thing over and over and over. Exactly. But so she sent me this one and she was like, I know you're not really, you know, wanting to do them right now, but this one is Gilmore Girls. And I know you like Gilmore Girls. And I was like, what? <laughs> because I, Gilmore Girls is, I mean, I, I, again, could talk about it forever. Feel free to. That's what we do. <laughs> I watched it as it was airing. Really? That's so rare to find. So rare to find people who did like a WB watch. Oh, yeah. It's usually ABC Family or on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm very well, excited. <laughs> and on top of that, I was the same graduating year, graduating class as Rory. Oh, so really? this was like a huge part of my coming of age, this show. And I watch it. I am not joking. Every day. Every, really? Every <sighs> single day I get ready for bed. I wash my face. I brush my teeth. I get my pajamas. I get in my bed and then I turn on the next, like wherever I left off last and I watch it for at least 15. You know how some people read before bed? Yes. I watch Gilmore Girls before bed every single night. Oh my gosh. So I I have seen the episode. I can't even tell you how many times I have seen the episode. I had no idea of this about this because like when I reach out, I never want someone to feel like they have to talk about Gilmore Girls. Like I want to give the platform for the book and the Mm -hmm. book club. Someone's like, you can talk about it if you want to. So it's always, but everyone has, I've found that every single writer I've reached out to is a big Gilmore Girls fan, but I did not know this about you. And I'm like, 
starstruck, stunned now. I wish yes. I would have prepared my questions differently. Well, <laughs> I, I love it so much. And for a few different, well, the couple things I want to say about it is that please, it heavily, heavily inspires why I love to write small towns. So really? yeah, I can see that. It's so, yeah. yeah. So That's like so spells for forgetting the unmaking of June Farrow and my next adult novel, they all take place in small towns where everybody has like known each other forever. And, you know, like multiple, you know, like people's mothers knew each other and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, I love the small town setting and just like the intimacy of it. And yeah. of course Gilmore girls is not dark, but or sinister really in nature. Yeah. But <laughs> not at all. I love the setting so much. And I think that some, some, like a lot of the reason why I wind up writing in these types of settings is because of my love for Gilmore Girl. Yeah. Cause you're there every night. <laughs> yes. And just like the familiarity and like when I'm like imagining what's in a town, you know, like when you're writing a small town setting, you have different like shops or restaurants or coffee shops or whatever in the little town, you have to have like your regular settings that you go locations that you go back to again and again. And I'm, I'm thinking about Gilmore girls. I'm thinking about like, you know, Luke's and the beauty shop and the, the cat shop and like all (laughs) different things. Um, Dosi's market. But I feel like you, I, I'm thinking within that structure, it's like my reference point. Uh, yeah. And it's such a good one too. Mm-hmm. And like, I never, like, again, like I never want to like, as I'm like reading, because what we do in our book club is like, we'll find little pieces that feel like Gilmore Girls or like, this is like this character, or this is like this thing in town. Yeah. And so when you go to town in, um, spells for forgetting you get that sense because she goes to the market Mm -hmm. and she has her tea shop and her dad has the pub yeah and so you kind of want to like you're like this is a lot like Gilmore Girls but you never want to like it sometimes feels insulting to a writer to be like this is this is like this other thing no totally well and they're like just how like they're walking down the main street to each place and like just I don't know like in the how like how the houses are like how you know it just it all kind of I feel like isn't based on Gilmore Girls at all, but I feel like it definitely influenced it. But the the other thing I was going to say about Gilmore Girls is that it's very, very like dear to me also because when, um, so like I grew up watching it, right? And then I hadn't watched it for several years. Like, but then I went through a period of very, very like severe anxiety, like when I got published and my book came out and like, I kind of like went through this whole huge, like Saturn's return type, like evolution transformation or whatever. And I I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and I couldn't sleep. And so I started right. I needed to watch something before I fell asleep every night that just was a comfort to me. Like just was like made me feel good and warm and safe and happy. And so I, this is many years ago now, but I started watching it every night and I never stopped. And so now I've probably eight years, nine years, something, maybe even 10 years, every single night I watch it. And it's oh my gosh. Like a part of my <laughs> daily routine. My kids watch it with me. Like, it's just, it's a thing. And that's like, you fit so perfectly into the community of our listeners because um, I post a lot about on 
Gilmore Girls on TikTok and like you kind of fall into these like groups of people of like either you watch it every fall, you watch it all the time or you're someone who falls asleep to it. You can't fall asleep without their lives falling apart yes. sort of thing yeah. is what we say. Mm-hmm. And like that was me for a really long time. Like during like 2021, like I just like could not fall asleep without Gilmore Girls. Like I, I would even put like a sleep mask on with them in like the background because yeah. like I couldn't, I needed it to be dark, but I needed them to be there with me. Yeah. And like, I just like, I love that so much. I'm like so surprised. I feel like I can't <laughs> believe that that's, I can't believe I found you and that that's the case. Cause that's um, every single writer I've reached out to has loved Gilmore Girls. And like, I never seek out writers who love Gilmore Girls. Cause I, I looked up a lot about you, but I did not find that out about you. And that's yeah. just so cool. Well, and I, mean, I think part of that too, is because the writing in Gilmore Girls is a masterclass on writing. And so I feel exactly. like a lot of writers love it. Yeah, it just makes sense. It also feels like it's a show for homebodies mm-hmm. who like love to just like spend time alone. And yeah. I feel like that's so true of writers. It's like yeah, you spend most of your time in your head. Um, what episode did you watch last night? Last night I was on, so I finished the four Thanksgivings, the deep Korean Thanksgiving. I was on the yes. end of that one and into the next one. And I think that because I couldn't sleep last night, I ended like when Rich, Richard's mom is coming back. Into yeah. And that'll do pig. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like they that's kind of where I started dozing off. Do you watch in order when you watch? Do you or do you like switch around? Yes. Yeah, so I I'm very curious what your people do, like yeah. what your listeners do. I watch seasons one through five. And then I start over. It is really, it's very rare that I will continue on to six and seven. And so like, as soon as I kind of get, start winding down to the end of season five, then I'll start. As soon as she's stealing a yacht. <laughs> yeah. I start thinking, do I want to keep going to six? I don't know. And then it, I decided the last second and I'll like start over at the very beginning or I'll commit to go all the way to the end. Yeah. I think that that's true. It's like most people, um, we'll go through six because like my favorite episode of the whole series is the season six finale because that's like the last one that we get with Amy Sherman Palladino yeah and it's pretty um it's pretty common that most people maybe if they're not skipping seven but we call season seven the fan fiction season yeah just because it's like it's not just not it's not the same it's completely not like we've talked to writers on the show and they're like it's just not the same yeah well and I think six is such a painful season because Lorelai and Rory are like separated, you know, and like there's so much pain that like I yeah <laughs> I, I feel like I avoid it. Like I'm just like, oh, how good do I want to feel? Because those that, those episodes are hard. No, it's that's so true. Because like my co-host, we kind of like have like differing opinions. Where like she her comfort seasons are the first three, yeah, and mine is five and six. Because I personally just love when everything's going wrong. Yeah, I love. It's almost like this like anxious cathartic like catharsis mm-hmm. everything's going wrong for them but I know how it ends yeah and so like if there's like this anxiety unfolding on the show mm-hmm. and I know how it ends maybe I can like kind of like manifest that into my own life a little bit yeah. um but I am a really big Logan fan and okay. so watching five and six for me is like essential because yeah. those are the Logan seasons yes. I also just love the way that everything is happening it's just so dramatic it's 
And yeah. it has one of the best episodes, which is the Friday night dinner. Yeah. Friday night's all right for fighting in season yeah. six. And sometimes I will just skip to that episode just to watch that. And I always make my partner watch it with me. I'm always, I like always call him. I'm like, it's starting that scene. Like, <laughs> starting. Yeah. Like, come in here. And I just die every single time. One of my favorite things about that scene is that it's directed by Kenny Ortega. Mm -hmm. And so like, I just like, it's so cinematic the way that they just like move around to that. It's like, that's one of the best scenes of the whole show. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. It's a perfect episode. It really is. Um, So are you more of like an early seasons person? Is that like where you like your comfort sits in it? That is where my comfort sits. I think because we, you spend more time in the town um, yeah. I, I do love it when Rory goes to college. Like I love the whole mattress episode, like when, yeah, they take oh, that's one of my favorite ones. Yeah. yeah. So, like I, I love all of that, but, and I do love like her first year at college and Paris's crazy antics and having her life, like all of, I love all of that. But, um, I think being in the town where we're seeing like Miss Patty and, you know, Kirk every day and, no, like there's something about that that I just I when I go back to the episode one season one every time I feel like I'm just like coming home because I've just finished season five and I feel like we've been away from home or something yeah no I feel like that too because like I do my favorite season is season five and season six is a close second but it's like when I'm watching because we have um, a rewatch on Patreon where we're going through the whole season because our our actual podcast is not a rewatch. We just pick different themes every week. Um, but when we just finished season three, I kind of feel like I've been this like place of like Stars Hollow is my mm-hmm. home. And like I feel so comforted yeah. by it. But now I'm moving into like the trenches of like the storylines that I like. But it's like we're moving further away from the like um, the town events yeah. and things like that that like we don't see as much in the later yeah. seasons. Um but because you are a WB, like, OG watcher, I, like, never get to ask anyone this, which is, like, how you felt when we, like, went from, like, season six to season seven, finding out that it was canceled. Like, mm-hmm. what was that, like, I guess, like, experience like for you, like, when, uh, you know, Rory said no to Logan's proposal, yeah. like, as all of that unfolded? Because, like, I watched it on the WB and no one ever, ever has those, like, yeah. same feelings where it's, like, you were, like, that that just happened like and now it's over yeah I mean I felt (laughs) devastated I was like and also I think because I was the same age as Rory I feel like that is such a time in your life when you feel just adrift like things are very kind of chaotic and messy and you're trying to figure out the future and you you thought you had a plan and then it's like doesn't really come together you know like I don't know it's a very specific time of life. And I feel like that show was an anchor for me in a lot of ways. And I just wanted it to go on forever. I was so attached. Yeah. And you were losing that when you were feeling that up in the air feeling. Totally. Yeah. And and so like, I felt, it felt like very like sad to me. And I, yeah, I did not, I did not like it. Yeah. Um. Do you have a favorite boyfriend? I feel like everyone would be so mad at me if I yes. didn't ask. It's just. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, and I especially even like when he comes back later and they cross paths later and like, he has that like kind of fight with drunk Logan, like all of it just like yeah. reignited all my love for him. Um, but in the, do you guys, I'm sure you cover the reboot stuff too. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Everything. Even in yeah. that, like when he like comes back and like, he's got his bag and he sees her through the window and like, whatever my heart. Yeah. Still, like, that look through the Ugh. window. 
Like she knew what she did with that. Like we were all like settled. We were like, okay, Jess is in a good place. And then he looks through the window at her and you're like, it was wrong. No. And now, now there's nothing more. (laughs) The odds are we will never go back. We will never get to go back and answer those questions. Right. I like to think that, you know, because she left Logan, but she found out she was pregnant. I like to think that maybe the universe brings them back together um yeah her and Jess yeah like maybe I don't know because now I mean Lorelai and Luke have been together the whole time but like now they're family too and really family so anyway I just might but when that scene happened I had like the burning in my chest you know I like yes because you're meant to be together no and like as like a team like massive team Logan girly like even when I saw that I was like well yeah maybe maybe they should be together. Like maybe he should get everything he wants because like maybe Rory shouldn't, but I think that Jess should. And if he wants Rory, like that's what he should have. (laughs) Yeah. He's such a brat, like, and so dumb, but like I, he really did like have my heart during the show. And I, the thing that I love is that like a lot of people will say that they ship Logan for Rory and just for themselves. Yeah. Um, because they're like, he does not, that's not who he needs is he needs me is kind of what they always say. Um, but in regards to your idea of like how everything ends, everyone always says that Jess is Rory's Luke. And so that Jess would stick around and help her raise her baby. That is obviously Logan's and Logan would be Chris and like run off and never show up and only show up occasionally to bring her a dictionary. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, totally. And we, I made the horrible mistake also of hosting a marathon at my house for the reboot. So oh, like, really? Yeah. So I, and you needed I to watch a, it alone. <laughs> yeah. I should have watched it alone. So like I invited my friends over and I decorated my house with all of this like stars hollow stuff. And we did a huge spread of food from the show from every season. And like, it was just the whole, it was like a whole thing. I want to see pictures. (laughs) I planned it for months. Like it was this like big deal. What I realized was that when we were watching it, because we watched them all day, we watched it, we just binged it. Oh, as you do. That's the way to do it. But what I realized is like, oh, these people are not true believers. They are just here because they have a fun party. But like I realized I was the only one who was like really in it. Me and maybe one other girl. Yeah. Everyone was talking sort of thing. Yes. Like conversations, commentary, like all these things happening. And then also I couldn't emotionally process like at all. Yeah. So I like needed to sit with it and I will never do that again. I will never do yeah. anything like that again. <laughs> I was like, why did I do this to myself? Like two episodes in, I was like, why, why did I think this is a good idea? And I like wait for everybody to leave so that I could go eat like the cold tacos and <laughs> start it over and like yeah. rewatching it again. That's, I didn't really have any friends at the time watching Gilmore Girls. So like I watched it by myself, but I watched it like on my like iPad mini, like laying in my bed and just all the way through, just like completely sobbing. And so like trying to imagine myself being like at your party, Mm -hmm. like trying to watch this in the same way that you did, I would feel the exact same way. I would like probably be like secretly wanting to cry while everyone else is just chitter chattering. And I just, it's not a safe space (laughs) for my obsession. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. 
<laughs> well, you know, you make them and now you learn. And now in the next revival, you'll know that you have to turn on all the lights mm. and eat your cold tacos by yourself. Yes. Maybe they'll be warm because yeah. you'll be by yourself. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. I love that. I like want to talk to you about Gilmore Girls now for like I the next talk, I could talk hours. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, we should have you come back on the podcast and just talk about Gilmore Girls because I'll we, do it. I, I'll talk about it forever. I love it. Oh my gosh. Because I have so many questions about Spells for Forgetting that I want to get to. But what, you're just going to have to come back on the podcast and share all your ideas because I have literally so many questions for you that are just now like brimming knowing that you're like a massive fan. Yeah. Um, because your publicist did not convey like your true love for this. She was like, oh, she's a big fan. Yeah. And people say they're a big fan. But like that's the kind of thing of like when you meet someone out in the wild in real life yeah. you kind of like and they're like oh I like Gilmore Girls it's like yeah like what do you mean what do you mean you like it and that's like I'm like do you do you like to turn it on in the background in the fall time or are you falling asleep and you can name every single episode title like that's the kind yeah. of like thing and so like when I say I have a Gilmore Girls podcast I feel like it kind of yes. people get it immediately they're like she's obsessed I went to WB Studios to visit the set yeah to stand in the gazebo and see the house and like all of that stuff. Like that's what level we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But we will, I'll have you back on and you and me and Tara are going to deep dive into Gilmore Girls because I could, I have like, my mind is like racing with questions that I didn't write down. Um, But I do want to get to spells for forgetting because that is what we're here to talk about. We can talk um, about the book that we're supposed to talk yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> about your book that you wrote. Um, Unfortunately, we have to <laughs> talk about your book now. Um, But not unfortunately, because this was one of my favorite books of 2022. Um, And I don't know if it's because of like the small town of like, when I read it, I was like in my I don't have a Gilmore Girl season, but like technically it was Gilmore Girl season when I read it. And um, I like literally finished it all in one night because I just it was just so addicting. And I just wanted to stay there and love these characters. And um, yeah, because I I'm really excited to talk about it because I felt like I led into that being very sad that we had to move on to this book. But I'm actually very excited, um, which I feel like you can tell why I decided to include this in our book club, because like I told you before, reading is sexy is for I kind of want to like bridge the gap between people who like to um, like like to watch the show and books that they might like and being like a Gilmore Girls creator if you will people ask me all the time of like what books feel like Gilmore Girls and this one does because of the small town nature but also because of the second chance romance and like one of the things I like to do at the book club is like find books that have tropes or storylines that play out things that you might have wanted to happen so like that look through the window is maybe where Emery and August kind of pick out with where we would have wanted to see Jess and Rory so I'm like if yeah. you like this thing you'll like this thing yeah. and I really feel like if you're a Gilmore Girls fan especially after knowing how much you like Gilmore Girls you'll really like Spells for Forgetting um, and so anyone who's made it this far um, who has not read the book um, if you could give them a little synopsis of um, what it's about yeah, so Spells for Forgetting is a story about a man named August, and he is in his 30s. He's coming home for the first time in 14 years to bury his mother's ashes. And 14 years ago, he was forced, kind of like forced to leave the island after he was accused of killing a 17-year-old girl. And now that he's coming home for the first time, he's kind of facing that past and his secrets of the past, but most importantly, um, the love of his life who he had to leave behind and hasn't seen or spoken to since her name is Emery. And, um, 
they kind of have to team up to figure out what really happened that night that both of their lives changed so much. And they uncover a lot of secrets in the town that they didn't know were there. I will say that we are going to now enter into a spoiler section. So if you have not read this book, um, I want to encourage you to read it. Maybe pause, read the book, and we'll welcome you right back when you press play when you're done. Um, or if you just want to continue reading it because, or continue listening and you haven't read it, um, you can't accuse us of having spoiled it for you yeah. because we're giving you a big warning right now. Some people um, like spoilers too. I know. I mean... Not many people, but some people do. I feel like this is also one of those things of like, um, I have read this book. I think that reading it on audio this last time was like my fourth time reading it. And I still was like finding things about it that like I knew the whole story, but like there were still parts of it that I was like uncovering and like connecting. And I feel like as many times as you read a book is like, there are ways to spoil it, but I feel like for the most part, like a book like this, it's like you have to get into it and sink into it to really see it um so oddly I want to start in the acknowledgments I feel like a lot of people ask you what your inspiration was or what the first idea was but very kindly you put that at the very beginning of the acknowledgments when you wrote when the first glimmer of the story found me there was just a man on a ferry headed home to bury his mother's ashes I had no idea where he was going to take me mm -hmm. um and that's one of my favorite things to find out is like what the first idea was. But my, what I actually love to know is then what happened next for you? Did you like set that aside? Were you like, who was that man? Um, or like, what was, what came after that moment for you? Yeah. So I actually, this, I typically get story ideas in a picture like that one that I just described in my acknowledgements. I get a picture in my head. It's very visceral. It's very like um, big in my mind. and my story development process is trying to figure out the who, what, when, where, why of the picture. And so for this book, it was August on the ferry and I could see, you know, the island in the distance coming closer and I knew he was going home to bury his mother's ashes. And that's really all I knew. So then I'm answering these questions like, when's the last time he was home? Why did he leave? Why does this feel so ominous? What is this town? Who is he really? You know, um, and so that's how it started with spells. And every book has been the same for me. Every book I've written, I have gotten the idea the same way and have developed the story uh, after I get that same that or that like initial image. Um, but it came at a very inconvenient time because it was after I wrote my debut novel, Sky in the Deep, and then um, The Girl, The Sea Gave Back. I, it was either between those two books that I initially got this idea, or it was right after I wrote The Girl the Sea Gave Back. But it was around the same time that I started working on Fable, um, which is uh, definitely my my biggest like YA book, uh, YA fantasy title. So um, I, it was a very inconvenient thing because that's not the kind of books I was writing. I was like now two books in and had already sold more YA fantasy books that are more just straight fantasy in other worlds and whatever. This book was totally different. And I was like, 
had never really worked on a project like that before, even though it really emulated a lot of the books and TV shows and movies that I love. And so I wasn't sure what to do with it for a long time. I always planned to write write adult fiction as well, but I assumed it would still just be, it would be fantasy in line with my young adult books. Um, But this story would not leave me alone. It was literally haunting me. I was just thinking about it all the time. I couldn't let it go. I kept calling you back. (laughs) Yes, I really did feel like that. And so it just, for a couple of years, it wouldn't let me go. And I finally just relented and was like, I, you know what? I know it's not the same as what I'm doing in YA. I know it might confuse readers. I know it might mess up my brand or whatever. Um, cause you have to think about all that stuff when yeah. you're building readership. Um, I was like, I know it's gonna, it could be kind of sticky, but I have to do this. I have to write this story. And so I, I did, I wrote, um, a proposal for it and wrote like half the book. I sold it. And immediately sold the making of June Farrow and my next book after. And now I feel like I have kind of been able to carve out this po- this pocket that's between genres, right? It's not not technically mystery. It's not technically romance. It's not technically magical realism. It's kind of this blend of all of these things. And I'm I'm kind of starting building a readership in that little pocket, this like crack between the shelves, yeah. or whatever. Um, and so like, but it took me a while to really go for it because I was scared to do it. You know, I was worried about how it would impact my career at large. And it has been like one of the best decisions ever because I'm still writing YA fantasy. Um, but my adult fiction has just challenged and grown me as a writer in a massive way. And I, I, what I love so much about it is like, it almost feels like you could consider it fantasy because I've seen it on a lot of lists like because it's like such a fall book like to translate from like Gilmore Girls to you I feel like you are like the that version of like the perfect fall writer like these are the perfect books to read like today like at the beginning of November it just like it falls so cleanly in like what a lot of people end up on lists of like um like fall fantasy novels or like fantasy romance but like I almost forget that it has a fantasy element of it like the magic part of it feels so like real that it would exist in our world that like when we kind of learn that they're witches and that there's this like magical element to the island that the island kind of has like a sentience to it that like I'm like okay but that's normal that's that island that exists off like the coast of Seattle like that's normal that's not this is a contemporary novel Mm -hmm. and I think that that's kind of like can be hard to sell because like they want you to be like they want you to be contemporary romance or fantasy or fantasy romance but like you said it kind of like is a blend of all of those things and it's fits so perfectly as a fall novel yeah yeah and I love fall too and I love the aesthetic fall so I feel like anything atmospheric, like the unmaking of June Farrow takes place in early summer, but because it's atmospheric, people still find that like, I don't know, like that deliciousness of like the setting it that feels satisfying to read in fall. Yeah. And I think that that, cause like, that's the same about Gilmore Girls is like, it's a fall show that takes place all year round Yeah, and it's more of like, um, something I feel like that makes a fall show is like a deep sense of longing and like any season that that takes place in that like I feel like you can make it a fall book because Mm -hmm. it's like almost like the same way that like the 
the leaves are falling off the trees. Like that's kind of like the feeling yeah. that that kind of gives you, um, which can be said about the unmaking of June Fro. Um, but something that someone asked about is um, the decision for the points of view, because mm-hmm. this could have easily been a story. Because like you said, August was the first character that you met. This could have easily been like a like a back and forth duel between the two of them. But there was the addition of her dad and Leota and eventually the island um, to include that. Like what was the, I guess, decision making process for the point of view to tell the story? I think it started because I really wanted to write this scene that the one from Noah's perspective, her dad, where he goes to Leoto's house late at night and he walks in. He's like, we have a problem, you know, like I wanted to give the reader a little bit of information that Emery didn't have, like in real time, like dangle it over the readers so that they're like, oh, they're all in on it, you know, type thing. Um, Whereas it, to me, it just felt like a more interesting way to approach that because there's a million ways to convey to a reader like, oh, these people know more than they're, you know, saying they do or (laughs) that's suspicious or whatever. But I really loved, I had this picture in my head of this scene with Noah, like, and just admitting it to the reader. And just being like, yeah, they're all lying, you know, like not do, are they lying? Could they be lying? But like, no, they're all lying. And we're going to, the, the story is now we're going to find out what they're lying about and why. So, um, I think once I had that in my head, I, I couldn't let go of it. And then once I had written his perspective, it didn't make sense not to include others. Like it just kind of yeah. up all these other ideas for other perspectives as well. And I found too, that it helped balance out the flashbacks because coming from YA, you know, you feel an immense pressure to, for readers to not feel like your books feel YA when you're writing adult, right? So there is kind of just this general feeling among authors. And so I felt like adding those multi-generational POVs was really important for me because it is a multi-generational story and adding in teen perspective flashbacks. I didn't want that to make it feel too YA, if that makes sense. I felt like it was a good solution. No, and that's really interesting because something that someone asks is they're a really big fan of your YA books Mm -hmm. and that they didn't realize that you had adult novels until this book club and they were super excited to read it. Um, And they asked what that switch was like because they felt like it was like you had a really strong sense of who they were as teenagers and almost that like the comparison that we kind of gave was that like you kind of feel like you always end up being a teenager because you carry those feelings with you that like you kind of like masterfully sort of like navigated this, like their teenage feelings with the fact that we all still have our teenage feelings as adults. And so like, what was that process like switching from, Mm -hmm. I guess, them as teens to now adults, which is maybe what all YA writers would want to do is like find their teenage like protagonists as adults. Yeah. It was immensely satisfying. I love writing adult, um, characters because, and it's the same reason why, like, I love so many of the adult characters in my YA books as well, because you're just, you're exploring themes on a much deeper level. Like YA young adult teen characters. It's all about like 
new experiences and firsts and discovering who you are for the first time and coming of age and um, adventure and, you know, all of those things. And when you have adult characters, they've lived more years, you know, they've experienced more, more pain, more suffering. Um, the things have not worked out well for them. Like there's just so much more to dig into. Um, and also like they are developing their worldview based on those things. And so I really love writing adult characters um, for completely different reasons that I love writing teen characters, but it was definitely a switch in a good way where I was like, it was kind of a new challenge. I got to develop new skills in my writing craft and um, kind of like explore characters from it to a different level than I have in the past, especially because in my YA books, none of my adult characters have their own POV. So okay. yeah. So like it, I, I just have found it to be very fun. And I feel like I also can go deeper into some of those aspects where I'm connecting with the book because I'm a similar age as a lot of these characters as well, relating to them in a different way than I relate to Fable or Elin or Tova or, you know, um, whatever. Talking about that, like the idea of like the, I guess the themes in the YA about um, like adventures and new things and firsts. That's so interesting and fascinating to write that because like that's everything that August and Emery are experiencing together. It's like all of their firsts and all these new things. Um, But then to see them reconciling with that as an adult, because it's like that was like the best it got for them. Like in this very rare moment that like uh, people rarely have. Mm-hmm. which is what a rare moment is. Um, sorry. <laughs> but um, that they get to experience that again of mm-hmm. like, they both have lived their lives. Um, Emery, I would say less so um, yeah. with the experiences that she got to have on the Island, but um, August left and he mm-hmm. met all these other people and she was still the best that he got to have. And that was his first. Yeah. And I love that we get to see that and explore that. Um, and I'm, I'm actually like, as someone who is like a big fan of romance novels and dual POV, I'm so glad that we got to see so many other characters because I feel like it allowed your heart to break in so many different ways for these people who live there and to get to see almost like their hopes, but also the secrets that they're keeping and like the hardships that they face in these like tiny little chapters that we got of them because it is mostly about August and Emery and what they're going through. But to see all these other characters, especially Jake, for some reason, he was someone who like every single time that he like the first time I read that, I was like, oh, fuck this guy. But then like as I reread it, I was like, no, this is someone who like wants to protect the people around him and yeah. like really wants to do right by people, but has just gotten so caught up in the wrong things. Yeah. And never got what he wanted. He never yeah. got what he wanted in any way. And he's just he's lived in longing for his whole yeah. life. Yeah. I, I have a lot of compassion for his character. I feel so bad for him. Yeah. And that's and that's something that someone else said is that like I think between Jake and Dutch, who were very different characters, but kind of walk that same path of like yeah. they've wanted to protect the things, which I feel like maybe Jake does a lot more. But someone asked, Do you think of Dutch as a bad guy? Because I found myself empathizing with him a lot more than I thought I should until he drunkenly yelled at August. Um but I feel like that was more out of like jealousy. Yeah. Well, and he's just a human. Like that's the thing. That's the thing about drawing characters, creating characters is so important to me is 
not drawing good and bad characters, but rather characters who feel very real. Like they, you know, they, they're imperfect. They're morally gray. They're, you know, they make bad decisions and then have consequences and like not necessarily lumping characters together. Like, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Maybe he's both, you know, like, or, you know, whatever. So I, I do, I love, um, I love Jake, especially Dutch. I feel very bad for, I feel like he I feel so bad for him. Yeah. He didn't ask for the things he got and he tried no. hardest to get what he wanted. And, um, and Emery was imperfect, very imperfect in that situation. Yeah. too. She really took advantage of him. And yeah, she let him on for so long. And like, he thought that like he had found someone and like, she just wouldn't commit to him. And what's yeah. so interesting about Dutch is like, having stayed on the island, he feels like the most like he got locked into like what he wanted as a teenager and kind of had to live with it because he was supposed to go to college. But I think he kind of ended up staying to some degree because of Emery and because of that chance that he was going to have to be with her. Um, and he never got it. So like yeah. he was locked into these things because of what a younger version of him thought would be the best option when he could yeah. have gone to college and gone off and met someone and been Dutch somewhere else. Um, poor Dutch, man. Poor I mean, Dutch. If we were Dutch, we'd be pissed too. Yeah. You know, like, I'd probably yell at August drunkenly on the side yeah. of the road. And he did lie. He lied to Emery and kept secrets and whatever. But like she kept secrets too, you know? Yeah. There are no, nobody in the book is really innocent. Yeah. And I think that's the thing about like, you can get mad at people for keeping secrets, but that was the whole thing is like, everyone had some huge yeah. massive secret. Um, something that I really hit me really hard in this read, um, which it took me until this one to really make the connection between Calvin and August and how similar their stories should have been um, because like August in this read was my favorite character because like his hopefulness and like the way that he like romanticized his dad's choice that he or the choice yeah. he thought he had to leave like he was not a good guy and I don't know that August sees himself as a good guy but he got this chance to leave and like he admired his dad even if he was resentful that he never reached back out he yeah. admired him for leaving and getting the chance to go only to find out that Jake was the one that killed him mm -hmm. and you're like oh you guys were supposed to meet the same end mm -hmm. uh, like making that connection this time I was like oh my god like yeah. like it's so it's so heartbreaking right and it was all like August hopes and like his what he wanted was based on a complete lie like yeah he, he again romanticized his dad leaving and even though he left him behind. He like hero worships him for being the one who left and he never even left his bones are like in the dirt on Searsha, you know? Yeah. It's, like probably it, like 50 feet from anywhere he's been. Yes. It's so tragic. And yeah. at the same time, um, you know, also I, I intentionally in the book, I didn't want to ever to come out to August and Emery, like as the yeah. book stands, like by the end of the book, August and Emery don't know that. Like they don't know what happened to Calvin, but the reader gets to know. And so yeah. I, that's another thing like that. I, I loved being able to like convey to the reader, even though the main character didn't have that information because it doesn't impact August and Emery and their story, but it does impact that August had, or like the impact Calvin's story didn't have on August and Emery, but it did have a huge impact on all of the other characters 
who they became and what they've lived with, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's why like recognizing the like extent of that. Cause I love that we got to know things that they're never going to know that they're going to go off and live their lives, but we will know the full story, especially like the Island chapter where we were finding out about Lily, but the Calvin one really hit me hard and made me empathize more with Jake because Jake was Mm -hmm. the one that pulled the trigger very specifically because then Jake was the one who became his like father figure and he had to live with that. And he had to live with the fact that he then beat up August Um, after this happened because he thought that he did this or he didn't know that he did this but he was at least protecting Emery and so it's like you could go like round and round with like all of these characters that you ultimately like you're like I kind of want to like take all of you from the island put you in some therapy get you some friends somewhere soft to lay down (laughs) yeah because most of them just love each other so much but they've all done such shady shit to like express that love you know that it's just like nobody is a hero like you know it's very but then you also like you're heartwarmed by some of their choices but then also you can't forgive some of their choices they're just they're complicated yeah someone asked is there a character you wanted to include more of but you cut for length or for sake of the story I I would have loved to go well one character that I did cut was Lily's dad Mm -hmm. um he is oh interesting yeah, he's off island on um, in the final version of the book, but he still lived on the island in the first version, and he just was taking up too much page time with no end game, essentially. Yeah. So we had to cut him. Um, but if a, a character that exists in the book that I would have loved to spend more time with is probably Dutch and going more yeah. into his childhood with his dad and the cycle that was there, like that generational cycle and him maybe deciding to come back to the Island instead of going to school and just yeah those types of things. Like I think, and Oh, and his relationship with Lily. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would have loved to dig more into that stuff. Um, but then of course, at some point you have to consider like how, how much is too much? What is the pay? How's this impacting the pacing of the story and all of that? And like something's got to give, but yeah. Cause I would have loved to have like seen more of them, especially when they were younger. Cause like, yeah. just like Lily's whole idea that she like went to Dutch because she couldn't have August. Like it just makes me feel so terrible for Dutch that like he was always the second choice to August like god that poor guy (laughs) um someone asked what was the hardest part of writing this book there was one scene in particular that I feel like I had to write multiple times now I'm trying to remember what it was because it's been like a couple years since I I know yeah I think that the hard I mean, well, honestly, the hardest part of writing the book in general was that there are so many uh, story threads like and this is the same for June Farrow, but on an even like more difficult level. But the when you are dealing with the secret about Calvin, the secret about the orchard, the secret about uh, August or secret about Lily's death, the secret about her parents never telling her they knew where August was like you're stacking so many secrets in different time periods, like very different time periods. 
So in all of my adult novels are like this. I don't know why they develop this way, but this is how they are. This is how they always turn Can't out. Be simple. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I feel like with Spells for Forgetting in particular, it was very hard to learn the craft of unraveling a story like that for a reader because you know the reader starts in one scene with one person at one point in time and you have to somehow get from this point and then unravel all of this stuff by the end get to an ending point and so I was learning how to do that for the first time with spells for forgetting and I again so enriching as a storyteller. Like it just, it made me a better writer. It made me see story differently. It's absolutely the reason I was able to write the unmaking of June Pharaoh. I wouldn't literally would not have had the capability of writing that book if I had read or written spells first in the book I'm writing now, I'm leaning so much on what I learned in spells in June to write the next uh, uh, book that's coming out next fall. So, um, yeah, but that really was, it was difficult when I started tackling it. Now this, I, this might sound really weird, but you, you're such a brave writer because like, not only were you diving into like your first like adult novel after having like success as a YA and like having to like kind of deal with like what that might be, but then you like took it into like a whole, like even further challenge to like create this new storytelling method that you haven't done before. And, um, something that I struggle with a lot is like, um, being seen trying that like you have to like learn this new skill through doing this thing that other people are going to read. Um, and I just think it turned out so well. Like I never would have guessed that this was like your first like four way with doing something like this, especially because like a lot of the early chapters, the way that they end and like, I guess from the reader experience is so good and so addicting because each like chapter kind of ends with this, like not even like cliffhanger, but like ominous feeling of like, you're like, okay, well, I have to keep going yeah, because like, I, I can't end there. Yeah. It's like, that's perfect. It's a page turner because it's such like a, like, like you said, like a craft to learn this new way of storytelling. And I feel like that's such like a brave, like attempt to do with your first something new, like adding all these other new something news and this other thing that you're doing. Yeah. It took a lot of encouragement from my agent and like a couple of my friends who are authors who for a few years before I finally bit the bullet and decided, okay, I'm going to really work on this project. were really pushing me and encouraging me. And I, I think I mentioned it in my acknowledgements too, just like the people who really pushed me, like stop overthinking this, stop being scared. Like you have to go for it. And I'm, I think without that encouragement, I don't, it would have taken me a lot longer or I may not have ever done it. Yeah. No, one of the per- people that you mentioned was Rebecca Ross and she's going to be on the podcast next month. Oh, um, she is. I just yeah. saw her yesterday. She was really? out for Isabella Bañez's launch. Yeah. And I'm going to see her next weekend too at Y'all Fest in Charleston. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. oh, yeah. I wanted to go there, but like I couldn't make it there. But um, yeah. So seeing her name, I was like, oh, that's so exciting that like to see her name when she's the she's the next person that we're talking to because our next book is um, Divine Rivals. Mm-hmm. Um but that's so exciting. Someone asked, speaking of music, this is the question that I wanted to ask you earlier. Someone asked if you were a Swifty because Emery and August feels like Cardigan. You know, I would not say I'm not a Swifty, but I also wouldn't say I am a Swifty. I feel like I'm that person who likes Taylor Swift that just really loved 1989 and folklore. Yeah. You know, 
And like, so, you're just a fan. That's fine yeah, to be. I'm a yeah. Fan. I'm, I feel like it, I would be an imposter to claim myself as Swifty, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that one of the reasons I like her is that she's great at writing lyrics, but she has a way of evoking emotion with a single line, right? Yeah. And painting a picture in a way that a lot of music artists can't do. And so that I really admire her for that. Yeah. Because someone was saying that like how, because like I feel that same way too, is like this, the two of them, if they could have a song, it would be Cardigan because it's just about knowing that person when you were younger. And so someone was like, is this the novelization of Cardigan? (laughs) Which it can be, whatever you like. I feel like whatever like makes sense for you. It can be for you. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, Someone else asked, will you be revisiting these characters? The exact quote was, the ending gave me chills. Such a great book. I want to keep following Emery in August. Yeah, a lot of people ask me this. Um, And right now I don't have plans to continue their story, but I feel like if I ever can leave a story open, I will just because – Yeah. I also love Searsha Island. I love these characters. I think there are cool ways I could go back and revisit them. I also think it would be very cool to explore some of the older characters' stories of the past. Um, Ooh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think the possibilities are kind of endless. But, um, but I didn't yeah. know if the island needed to, like, rest, <laughs> like, not to be drawn back to it. Well, and I mean, now, like I, I had to write like the unmaking of June Pharaoh, like that was just burning with that story. And the book I'm working on now is just like something I have to work on. And I, I already have ideas for my next adult novels. And so if I ever go back and revisit it, they'll have to really, they'll have to drag me forward with inspiration to be able to interrupt like the other stories that I'm excited about writing. Yeah. No, I'm like, that's so exciting to know that you have so many fun things on the horizon, though, because I love your books so much. I love Spell for Forgetting. I can't wait to get back into reading The Unmaking of June Farrow today. And I cannot believe that you are as big of a Gilmore Girls fan as you are. Like, that was like the biggest shock and biggest surprise. Like, I feel like (laughs) I like, like for a second, I like kind of lost my mind because I was like, oh my gosh, like I wrote really basic questions for her, but I should have asked like really in-depth, deep questions about how she was feeling about the show which was completely amazing um thank you so much for talking about this like I like like I said like I just felt like it took me by such surprise that you were such a big fan and I we will definitely have to have you back on the podcast to talk about all of your Gilmore's opinions because like finding someone who like falls into the category of like falls asleep to Gilmore Girls is um so special um but if anyone wants to find your books or um find you online where can they find you um, I am mostly on Instagram and my handle is Adrian Young Books. My uh, website is adrianyoungbooks.com. Um, the best place to find me is Instagram. That's like always the place I announce everything and, you know, whatever. I have a newsletter you can sign up through a link. Um, that's also a really good way to stay up on top of what's going on. But um, my new book, The Unmaking of June Pharaoh, just came out a couple of weeks ago. I have another one coming out in the fall, like I mentioned, and then my next YA uh, duology starts in early 25. So, and you're tracking your progress for that online, are you not? Um, I am doing that for my next adult novel, which is um, the ones coming out next fall. And I, so on Instagram, I have an Instagram subscription called Black Heart Society. 
And I'm kind of chronicling the process of creating the book from start to finish. And um, that's a really fun space too. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to follow along with that because I would love to see from like concept to holding the book with you because especially because like I feel like anyone who um, I guess like is trying to write that like I feel like you just have such like an easy way of explaining a very complicated process um, that I feel like you're like a really good person to uh, look to and to learn from because you do it so expertly. I'm obsessed. I am obsessed with story. So I like live yeah. it. I could like just, you know, talk about it forever. No, and I love that. And I'm so happy to hear that. But thank you again so much for joining us on Gilmore to Read. Um, I can't wait for you to come back and hear every opinion you have on Gilmore Girls. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to Gilmore to Read today. If you've already read Spells for Forgetting, be sure to pick up The Unmaking of June Farrow. I absolutely love it. And if you love Spells for Forgetting, you will love it too. Don't forget that for December, Reading is Sexy will be reading Love Light Farms by B.K. Borison. And where you read, I will follow will be reading Talking as Fast as I Can by Lauren Graham. Gilmore to Read will be back on December 7th with the author of Reading is Sexy's November pick, Divine Rivals. And that is, of course, the New York Times bestselling author, Rebecca Ross. But in the meantime, happy reading. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.